Looks like everybody's coming in from the cold. We welcome you to our evening chapel. Hope you've had a blessed day and enjoyed the sunshine. I'm going to give you a couple seconds to get in and then I'd like for us to share our theme together. Everybody excited about being in the house of the Lord tonight? Dr. Stride and I were just saying how blessed we are to be able to worship, to go to school but have a chance to worship the Lord in chapel. And may we never take it for granted. We live in a country that we can have this kind of freedom. Okay, well let's, let's say our theme together. Here am I, Lord, send me. And can we now bow and pray that prayer? Here am I, Lord, send me. Let's worship our God and King tonight. Well, good evening. Tonight, it's our privilege to recognize Dr. Alan Like for his leadership as college chaplain. Um, some of you might not know this, but uh, he has been our chaplain for 11 years. In so doing, he has, he has reached uh, or equaled, if you will, the uh, longest tenure as college chaplain. And he's in good company because he shares that first place assignment, if you will, with Dr. G.B. Williamson, the first chaplain at NBC and General Superintendent Emeritus. Um, Albert Schweitzer wrote, impart as much as you can of your spiritual being to those who are on the road with you and accept as something precious what comes back to you from them. As I reflected on Chaplain Light's service to us, I realized that he has faithfully given himself to us. He has modeled Christ's likeness, and he has challenged us to become more like Christ. He has led us in the way of holiness and called us to spiritual transformation. He has guided us in worship and taught us to give ourselves fully to God. He has modeled for us that to really be happy, you must find your place of service. Dr. Light, for your 11 years of faithful services, chaplain of Nazarene Bible College, we honor you. In all of your ways, you have acknowledged God, and because of your leadership, NBC is a better place. Tonight, I would ask you to accept our deep gratitude as something precious coming back to you. Ralph Sockman wrote, 
Nothing is so strong as gentleness, and nothing is so gentle as real strength. That, my friends, is Dr. Allen like. I would like for Allen to come tonight, and, and we have a, a presentation for him. It says, Dr. Allen like, with sincere appreciation for your service as college chaplain the year 2000 to 2011. I know you want to show your gratitude to him. sure across this great nation of ours there will be people watching this presentation and they will be clapping beside their computer for the leadership of Dr. Alan Like. Now the truth of the matter is he has given, up, he has given us at least two nights a week for the last 11 years and sometimes he was also teaching and he would give us three, maybe four nights a week during these last 11 years. I would see him drive up each morning. And he wasn't the type of guy that would come in about noon and then work through the night. He was here early in the morning preparing, praying, getting ready for chapel and getting ready for his class. And uh, I can tell you that a married man does not do that for 11 years without a loving, supportive, and faithful wife. Amen. And tonight, I would like to acknowledge Dr. Like's wife, Marilyn. Marilyn, would you please stand so we can thank you for sharing your husband these 11 years. Well, I, I, um, I told Dr. Like one time, I said, you know, if you were pastoring a church in this town, I'd, I'd come hear you preach every Sunday. And I really meant that. I love to hear Alan Like preach. And, um, you know, he, let me just make a few, per these were all written things. Sure. Just my, <laughs> you know, I've, I've known Dr. Like since college. And, and that's, that's a lot of years. We'll not tell you how long. But um, to watch a man over the years walk as he has walked and to love the Lord as he has loved the Lord in front of us, it, it truly has enriched my life. And I'm sure it's enriched your life as well. Now, the, the, the good thing, as I told the faculty and staff, this is one uh, appreciation farewell that we're not really having to say goodbye to somebody. He's just transitioned to a new assignment. But I anticipate hearing him preach in chapel again. And I know that we will look forward to that in the days ahead. 
And so, Alan, like I say to you, you are my friend, and I look forward to hearing from you tonight, as all of us do. Would you just welcome once again, Dean Alan Like. <laughs> Probably need to turn that off. There, thanks. I, I don't have the words, so let's just get started. Grab your Bibles, please. Turn to Isaiah. It shouldn't be a surprise that we're in Isaiah 6. We've been there all year, right? Isaiah 6, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 7. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. The word of the Lord. Say, say back to me, thanks be to God. I, let's just take that in for a moment. What we just heard, what we just read. Just take it in for a moment. It's one of the most spectacular passages in all of Scripture. The sights and the sounds of the glory of God in his temple are breathtaking, or should be. It's almost enough that we've read it and heard it this evening. Almost because I have something to say about it. That's why it's almost. The text is also one of the most powerful passages in Scripture. The passage has been used by God to call folks into service, and it is used by God to keep us, those folks, in service. He has spoken through these verses to call thousands to serve him. Anybody in this room? Has he used that passage? Here am I, send me. It's also a powerful passage because God has spoken through these words to help us keep serving him. We need the reminder, don't we? Amen? All in favor say aye. Okay, just making sure. In the face of challenging times, insurmountable obstacles, human frailties, and just plain life. 
when we read the passage, we find new strength to say yes to God again. One writer put it this way, the preacher of the gospel who faces the apparent failure of his ministry and who is therefore tempted to despair may recognize with the, with the prophet Isaiah that he is required, excuse me, that he is required to be wholly on the side of God in his heart and to let himself be used as a tool by God in whatever way God pleases. Now let me include the other half of the room. She is required to be wholly on the side of God in her heart and to let herself be used by God as a tool in whatever way God pleases. The passage helps us make that true, amen? However, as I've said in the other two messages, the leading character in this passage is not Isaiah. It's not even us. It's God. The passage is used by God to remind us of his holiness, of his otherness. It gives us a glimpse of his majesty and his glory. It reveals just a portion of his power and authority. And it's only a partial revelation because we couldn't handle seeing and hearing all that he is. It would consume us in an instant. Amen? And, and for us to think that it's possible for us to take him in, how presumptuous of us. We don't get it if we think that's a possibility. One of the interesting things about the passage is that God doesn't speak until after Isaiah is prepared to be in God's presence. God doesn't speak until after Isaiah is prepared to be there. God lets the angels do the talking. And he lets the seraphims do the seraphims, no, seraphim, do the singing. He lets the heavenly host do the cleansing. And then finally, when everything's ready, when Isaiah is ready, and when God's ready, God speaks. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, it says in verse 8, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And in the Hebrew, Isaiah says two words. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. But who is this God who is this God that sends a man to do his bidding? Who, who is this God that sends a woman to speak for him? Who is this God that even bothers with humanity at all? Well, some thoughts. First, this God is not a tyrant God wielding an iron club over the heads and the hearts of those who fear him. He's not a cruel dictator like Gaddafi and all of the other folks who are getting their just dues these days in the Middle East. Nor is he a taskmaster God whose expectations are high and whose grace is low. God does not delight in getting people to do just what he wants them to do because he wants them to do it. 
But it's common to think that way, isn't it? Notion ever cross your mind? Uh, I'm old enough to, to listen to Prairie Home Companion. Anybody under the age of 30 know what that is? No, under the age of 30 know what that is. <laughs> yeah, Ariana does because she had to listen to it in the car when I was driving. Well, Prairie Home Companion uh, is, a, is a radio show on National Public Radio, and the storyteller Garrison Keillor cre tells these tales about this fictional town in Minnesota called Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, and all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. Well, and there are a number of congregations in Lake Wobegon. There is a, a Plymouth Brethren Church, which was uh, Keeler's upbringing. And there are the Norwegian Lutherans who are part of that congregation. And then there's another church in that town. And the name of that church is Our Lady of Perpetual Responsibility. Anybody ever belong to that congregation? Uh, we think of God that way, don't we? Couple, a couple of years back, I saw a bumper sticker that kind of reflects the same notion. It says, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> and then just today, just today, I saw one that says, the more you complain, the longer God makes you live. <laughs> to, to, to view God as a taskmaster or a tyrant is to put him in the same league with all of the other gods that humanity has ever created. It is to create him in our own image because we're sometimes like that. The text tells us that he's more than that. I want to refer a book, uh, um, I want to recommend a book to you. The name of the book is The Prophets and it is by Abraham Heschel. And in this classic book by Heschel, he talks about the prophets of God and how they interact with the God who calls them. Heschel says this. He says, It is a thought staggering and hardly compatible with any rational approach to the understanding of God that the creator of heaven, the creator of earth, should care how an obscure man behaves toward poor widows and orphans. It's not rational. It's not rational. It's staggering that the God, the creator of the universe, even bothers. Even bothers. But he does. The amazing, unexplainable, irrational truth that is revealed to us in this passage is that the creator of the universe cares about you and me and the rest of humanity and has done so from the beginning. Amen? Amen. And there is nothing that can keep him from caring for us. Nothing. One of my favorite bands these days is the David Crowder Band. And there's a song uh, that I has just been going through my head and heart the last couple of months. The words of the song, I think, reflect what I'm trying to say here about God's care for us. The lyrics are, he is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the wind. 
and his mercy. Excuse me, bending beneath the weight of his wind and his mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by his glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are to me and how great your affections are for me, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us all. We are his portion, the song goes on. We are his portion and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're sinking. So heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violently inside my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. Oh, how he loves us, oh. How he loves us all. How he loves us all. The Lord of the passage, the Lord of the vision, the Lord of the universe is not dispassionate. He loves us all. Passage also helps us understand that God does more than just dispatch, dispatch messengers and prophets to do his bidding. God's actions here in this passage are evidence of the missio dei, the mission of God. It's, com it's, a, it's common conversation around the church these days, or at least around the theological places of the church these days, the mission of God. But I came across a blogger by the name of Hank Miedema. I think he is Belgian. And when he talks about God's mission, he says, and I think he's right, and when we think about it, it should be read in a double way. God is the author of mission, but he is also the object of mission. God sends himself. God is the author of mission, but God is also the object of mission. God sends himself. He is both the sender and the sent one. In Christian preaching, too, last term, Jeremy Allen preached a sermon from John 3.16. Always a dangerous thing to preach a sermon from a passage that familiar. But in, in the course of the sermon, he, he said something that has helped me with this and helped me kind of get to this point. He said something to the effect that in John 3.17 it says that God, but God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everybody familiar? Amen. Okay, all right. Most of the time when God is involved in this mission thing, the word, is, the word used is sent. It's the kind of thing we'd expect him to do. But in John 3.16 it says, God gave. Not God sent, God gave. And Jeremy's point was that out of love, God gave his son to the world as a gift, not just sent his son to complete a mission or a task. Again, God is the author of mission, but he is also the object of mission. God sends himself. 
He is both the sender and the sent one. Amen? And Miramo goes on to say that believers are a part of this mission. We share the same burden that God has laid on himself when we say yes to him. Final portion of the passage doesn't get preached much. And judging the time, we're not going to spend a long time here. But I want you to hear it. So I need you to grab your Bibles one more time, and we'll begin with verse 9. It is crucial, it is vital that we understand this oracle in its entirety, and not just in the familiar. Always easy to end with Isaiah saying, well, here am I, send me, and everyone applauds. Now listen to what he has to do. So God said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now how'd you like that for a job? There's a ministry opportunity just waiting for somebody. And Isaiah says, and I think rightly, this is a good thing that he asked this question. So how long? And God answers, until. Until. Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be laid waste again. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. The word of the Lord. It's a little tough to say it this time, isn't it? I think what the passage says is this. That God knows what he's doing when he calls us. God knows what he's doing when he calls us. God knows what he's doing when he asks us to do what seems to be impossible. God knows what he's doing when the mission he has given us seems futile. And you can see in the passage how he knows, right? Right at the end, a holy seed will be the stump in the land. He knows what he's doing, and he waits for us to trust him with the outcome. Home, homework included. He knows what he's doing, and he waits for us to say yes. 
God knows that if we will stay faithful to his calling in our lives, on our lives, that he will accomplish all that he wants for the world. And so he waits. He waits to see if we will serve the God who sends. Amen? Amen. I want us to uh, celebrate through that David Crowder song. So Vic, if you'll play it and stand and sing it. <laughs> 